Good evening, obsessed, oppressed, and possessed. I am your wonderful host, Alec McCann, and with me as always is... Julia McCann. Oh, look at that, she's using her name. How about that? Um, sorry it took so long to get this out. Uh, we had, we recorded this once already, went through a whole episode, and then when we played back the audio, it was nothing but choppiness, and just awful. I don't know. I'm getting hit with a burp. Yeah. Yeah, you talk. Don't do it. No one wants to hear that nonsense. They all want to hear that nonsense. No. But it seems good. It seems good. That's what I get for having coffee before we do this. Yes. Alright. So, before we get into the episode, um, I wanted to let you guys know that Olive Miller has reached over half of her goal of uh, uh, the fundraiser we started for the um, GoFundMe, uh, Olive Miller Relief, super creative name, <laughs> but uh, it did reach more than half its goal, and that money has gone to the family, uh, minus the fees that yeah. uh, GoFundMe has. Um, but, Stupid. Uh, but it is, it's it's gone a long way, I think, to, to help them, and um, they're still requesting cards and care packages, so if you're interested, 1215 Lee Street, um, Charlottesville, Virginia, at the UMC... UVA. UVA. Okay, UVA. I don't know where UMC came from. United Marine Corps. <laughs> United Methodist Church. Yeah, one of those, <laughs> you know. Um... But, uh, it's, uh, send it to there, Virginia. I don't remember the, I think it's 29903, is it, I think? Um, I can look. Okay, well, while she's looking at it. Hold on. Oh, gosh. Um, while she's looking that up, uh, we'll just recap what happened last episode. Family had a child, the child died. And they adopted a little girl from Ontario, Canada. And, uh... Yes. 22903. Oh, 22903. Okay. We'll send your cards and care packages to her. And, and let her know who sent you. You know? Let her know the the ghosted crew was behind her. <clears throat> As I am recording this, we are sitting in bed. It is 9.15. And it is the right time to get into this story. You ready? Mm-hmm. So, like I said, they, uh, the Goodens adopted a girl named Marcia after their child, Jerry Jr., died. Um, and uh, she had a bad life beforehand. She was the only child to be adopted out of that family because the family gave her up, except for the grandpa. Which, that doesn't even come into play. Uh, it's just that one one-off note where she says he was mad and that's how she talks to him. That's it. Hmm. I still want to know if he's alive. I would imagine he probably is not now. Well, no, but in this. Oh, I don't know. I would say maybe, and and she, that might have even been her pretending to talk to him. I don't know, but it seems weird that she would break into the ritual and speak some foreign language. True. Um, but then stuff starts happening around the house and eventually a woman by the name of, I think it was Mary, uh, hold on, let me go through my notes here, Mary Pascarella, 
Um, this is the first time she comes into contact with the Warrens. Uh, she later on would go and investigate Amityville with with the Warrens. Um, or at least we saw her in that documentary, the Amityville Horror documentary that I was watching. I kind of remember. What do you keep looking out the window for? I don't know. I thought I saw someone standing there, but... No, it's probably just leaves blowing and getting hit by a light yeah, or something. and that weird light down there. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a house light. Is it? Or a street light. It's one of those two. It's not anything to be scared about like that light. Floating light that was up in the sky because I was insane at 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> um. So anyway, she tests Marcia's psychic abilities, and it does not appear that she has any psychic abilities because she just gets mad and throws the bottle of rubbing alcohol across the room, and <laughs> and uh, was like, "Screw you! I'm going to Burger King," and uh, her aunt and uncle take her to Burger King, but while she does this. Mary calls Ed and Lorraine Warren. <clears throat> she had recently gone to one of their lectures on the paranormal events that they had experienced and thought maybe they'd be able to help with this situation. She explained the situation, but unfortunately they were in the middle of a case, and it doesn't say what case. I have that, the demonologist book. Yeah. Um... That book does not make any mention of this case. That's what's so weird is because this was a, a pretty big case for this time. Hmm. But no one had heard of it. In fact, you're the only person that you got that book. The the world's most haunted house. Yep. Got it on Amazon. Yep. And uh, I didn't even know about it. And I was super into like hauntings and stuff. So it was cool to see this. Um, but she explained the situation. Uh, and he said, you know, I need it to be the real deal or I can't take time off of, of his own case. He couldn't, he couldn't stop doing his case. Right. Um, uh, in order to come check it out. And she told him, you know, the volume of witnesses and assured him of the validity of validity of the claims. And he asked for the address and went over. Lorraine waited behind in order to talk to, uh, a priest named Bill. Charbonneau, I believe is how you, it's, it looks French to me, so I, you know, I could be wrong. Maybe, Maybe his name is Charbonneau. <laughs> I doubt it. Um, but, you know, she was going to bring this priest over to uh, help with the investigation because they frequently worked cases uh, in tandem. Ed had no difficulty identifying the house because of the large crowd that had developed in front of the house. He had to park, like, four blocks away, which, that's quite a walk. Ed was not a skinny man. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's a, that's a problem here. Yeah. Um, he gets to the house. He introduces himself to Jerry and, and tells him, you know, about the work and, and, and uh, what he and his wife did. And Jerry had never heard of the Warrens. You know, they hadn't, I don't believe at this time they had done the Amityville Haunting, which got them big international, or not international, but national yeah. success. But, um, you know, he figured if they knew what was going on, they should be given the opportunity to help. And the Hoffmans knew who the Warrens were, and, and that put Jerry at ease. The Hoffmans were like, yeah, we know about them. It's, it's okay. 
And he was like, all right, well, come on in. I don't believe in ghosts or nothing, but something's but come in not anyway. cool. Ooh, man, that was bad. Did you hear that? I did. Yeah. Um, oh, I say um way too much again. I'm you do. To, you always do. I don't know. Even in real life. You know what? You have beautiful eyebrows. How about that? Mm-hmm. You're weird. Ed began his investigation by interviewing the police and firemen that had shown up and witnessed the events. And after filling up his tape recorder, he returned home to go over the information with the others. So they weren't going to, you know, he was like, I'm done. Boom. Let's go over this. Now, the this guy named Paul Eno, who was 21, he was a seminary student, so he was almost a priest. But he was coming over to have a nice dinner with the Warrens. They, you know, they became friends when uh, the Warrens contacted Paul because of an article that he had written about the paranormal. Now, it's very um, strange. Not strange, but uh, a certain type of priest takes on the paranormal. Normal priests, they don't really worry too much about it, whether ghosts are real or not. But uh, exorcists or people in training to be exorcists, usually have more knowledge of the paranormal than uh, your normal run-of-the-mill, holier-than-thou priest. I wouldn't want that job. No. On his way to the Warrens, he had a flat tire, so he arrived at the same time that Ed did. And Lorraine came out and asked Paul if he was in a highly spiritual state. And Paul's answer was the best answer I've ever heard of anyone giving to a question like that. Now, I don't think anybody's ever asked that exact question, but I'm sure there's been like, you know, are you, are you on another plane, bruh? <laughs> and uh, his answer was, I guess so. Why? Because he knew what this was going to be. He was, he was getting ready to be pulled into a paranormal investigation. And as far as I can tell, he had not actually worked with the Warrens yet. He had talked to them about paranormal, but he had never gone to a case with them. Um, there it is again. From there, the group consisting of Ed, Lorraine, and the two priests. Well, I don't even know if Paul, you know, I don't know if you can call him almost a priest. Head over to uh, the Gooden's house on Lindley Street. Now, more people had shown up to see the goings-on at the house. Uh, even Barbara Carter, which is Marcia's tutor, after she had been pulled out okay. of of school, uh, they made sure that she was educated. At least, you know, they weren't pulling her out of school and being like, "You don't need to learn nothing." Now she still had a, a tutor, and fair enough for pulling her out. I, I think I would have to pull her out yeah, to somebody kicked her in the crotch to the point where they caused a serious injury. She uh, or they. The house had become a spectacle, and it could be good, and it could be bad for the situation. Good that potentially you have so many witnesses, and bad because, you know, maybe nothing happens. And that would cause the Goodens to become the town joke. Which, no matter how you looked at it, whether it was real or not, they became the town joke eventually. Of course. Which is just That's bad. how small towns are. Yeah. Well, I don't even know if Bridgeport is a small town. Probably. Or door. Probably in that time it was. Yeah, maybe. I don't know much about this uh, area. 
After introductions are made, Jerry went to the cassette uh, to get the cassette of his that had the banging noises on it. And Laura was, you know, she was now home from the hospital. If you remember from the last episode, she had that TV fall on her foot. Yes. And it was bleeding pretty bad. And the Goodens, Marcia and Jerry, were just like, oh, we'll wrap it up. It'll be all right. And then the EMT said, oh, is he pushing out? The He's trying. He's trying? Yeah. Uh, and the EMTs or paramedics or whoever came to the house were like, no, we're taking you to the hospital. That's, that's bad injury. So she gets back to the house and she grabs Paul's arm and says, you know, have you seen anything like this? Paul doesn't get the answer because Jerry sees his wife and just goes and embraces her and, and the guns from that point followed the Warrens and the priests inside to the sea of cops and firemen that had really, you know, they just had no use for anything anymore, uh, except to just be a witness. Marcia, on the other hand, thought it was fun to have so many people coming in and out of the house. As soon as she stated that feeling, she was like, I love having these people in. She about-faced and left the room. <laughs> of course. And Ed took Paul aside and told him, you stay with her. At all times, because one, it's common for children to be the perpetrators of hoaxes, but also frequent contributors to legitimate paranormal cases. And Paul knew what he was saying, and he went with, to be with her. He located her, he found her in the basement with a bunch of other cops trying to coax her into admitting that she had been behind all the activity that had been witnessed somehow. Yep, this little girl was able to lift a 300-pound fridge. Yep. And, um, Paul knew that he had to do something, so he introduced himself to the group and led her back upstairs. In the master bedroom, a large crucifix slowly flo floated down and rested on the floor right in front of Edmund's eyes. Now, if you remember, Edmund is Jerry's brother. Yes. It's not Ed Warren. Anytime I refer to Jerry's brother, it'll be Edmund. Okay. And Jerry has another brother that comes up into the story, not as a focal point or even adding something to the story. It's just that Jerry had more than one brother. So it just gives you a little bit more idea of, of how large the family is and whatnot. Officer Coco <laughs> turned to Ed Warren and asked what was happening in the house. And Ed asked... Or Ed was asked to call the superintendent of the police and explain what was happening. And when he did, Joseph Walsh just laughed and said for the police to clear everything up and get out of there. Now, he used a foul word I will not use. But it's a place where the devil lives. <laughs> the kitchen and living room were buzzing with human activity, and Marcia sat in a recliner enjoying the company she had so often been denied by her parents up to this point. Now, you know it's a sad day when a little girl is excited that firemen and police are just hanging around her house because something's trying to kill you. Right. But suddenly the room went unusually quiet, almost as if, almost as if something was dampening the sound. Marcia's recliner had started to rise off the floor and go to the ceiling with her in it. Now, it was doing a, a sort of, uh, the, the uh, things I read said it was sort of like a somersault. Mm 
but not <laughs> fully a somersault. Interesting. And then um, it, it was floating halfway between the floor and the ceiling, and then it did a complete 360, smashed into the end table, and dropped Marcia on her head. Oh, well, that's not as fun. I mean, I don't think anything that they go through in this is fun. Although well, I did, no. I did enjoy the the uh, cross smacking that one cop in the chest, and, and he was like, "I'm out, I'm done, done. and I'm gonna lock this door." That was a fun little detail. He said, <laughs> "It can float things, but it ain't getting past this lock." The recliner then dropped to the floor, and it took two officers to lift the chair. A chair that just a couple of seconds ago was floating and spinning in midair. And things continued in this way. Ed Warren witnessed the knives on the floor rotating and swiveling in different patterns. The ashtray in the living room rose 30 inches high and then spontaneously shattered. Exhaustion and anger had caused a turn in Jerry. He went into the kitchen came back with a jar full of holy water, and began dipping his hand in to sprinkle people and objects. If a man <laughs> came up and started spraying water at me... Right? I'd be a little mad. Uh-huh. And, and, we, and I wonder if he gave people a warning first, or he, he just went... Shoom. Can you imagine the cops? What are you doing? Right? Stop! Now, as he's doing this, three deliberate knocks were heard at the kitchen door. You and I both know. Now, Jerry wouldn't know this because he did not believe. I think at this point he's done not believing. But, I would hope. But at this point, he's a he's an extreme novice at knowing anything. That deals with the paranormal. He hears these knocks and angrily goes to see who is at the door. I guess it doesn't really matter because the thing's already in their house. They already had this happen once. Remember, uh, Laura heard the same three knocks on the front door, went to go see, and there was only wet footprints on the stoop, but yeah. nowhere else. Yeah. Um, so, you know, meanwhile, he's doing that, and the tulip lamps in the living room began to rattle, and Janet came to tell the group that the rosary in Marcia's room was flapping against the wall. So clearly, him putting holy water all over the house was messing with something. As a last resort, a pair of electric and plumbing inspectors came to check the systems. The police strangely detained them, and when they entered, they quickly saw why. Because the house was in disarray. They looked at each other, they were confused, they didn't understand what was going on, but they checked the electrics and plumbing in the basement, and then they just came up confused again. Because while they're in the kitchen, the fridge rose from the floor and glided six to eight feet to the left. And a police officer, seeing that, ushered them out immediately, telling them they had to keep quiet about what they had seen. Around 2 p.m., the cops leave, except for Officer Tomek. He stayed behind to perform an exor er, an experiment. Not an exorcism. Can you imagine if a cop tried? Right. I don't see that ending well for anybody. No. While the Goodens and Warrens were preoccupied in the living room, he went into Marcia's room and thought to himself, if you can hear me, move something. So he didn't say this out loud. He was just like, you know, if you can hear me, if you can hear my inner thoughts, move something. And as soon as he said that in his head, everything in Marcia's, uh, on Marcia's walls started coming to life. 
And then he, you know, he spoke out loud, okay, you can stop now. And when he commanded all things to stop moving, they stopped moving. And Tomek believed he had just com uh, communicated with the entity. Which he just left. He was like, all right, I'm going to talk to it. Bye. <laughs> and he didn't talk about the events that happened uh, in this particular spot for like 40 years. So by this time, reporters, reporters from New Haven and New York came. And uh, the crowd outside the house grew to be about like 2,000 people. Which, that's a whole lot of that's people. A, that's a whole lot of people. More police showed up with dogs for crowd control, all the while refusing to answer questions coming from the crowd. The newsmen were refused admittance to the house by younger brothers Edmund and Joe. So you see, there's the other brother, Joe. Joe. Joe, Jerry, and Edmund. When the Warrens were leaving, they suggested that the family do their best to move out of the high-activity rooms. It was all that uh, he could suggest because the spirit was probably attached to them and would follow them wherever they went. So he couldn't, you know, say, hey, go to your neighbor's house or go here or there because it just, it wouldn't matter. Right. And we see that in, you know, the Conjuring movie. He, he explains that wherever you go, it's going to follow you. It's, it's, it's attached to you. Paranormal Activity had the same thing. Uh, she said, I want to leave. And he was like, I mean, it's not going to matter. Yeah. So, you know, there is a press. I mean, obviously, paranormal activity is not based on true events, but that is a common thing where things get attached to you. Uh, it's part of the... Which is still a scary thought. Yeah. At some point, a few of the press are allowed entrance, and they noticed that Marcia had a Russian Orthodox prayer book um, that Paul Eno had given to her he had gotten that book from an Orthodox priest in Canada, which is interesting because she came from Canada. Not because they're connected, they're not connected. But it is cool. Yeah. Like one of those cool synchronicity type things. Um, and that Orthodox priest had also been a monk in the Middle East, which is cool. But the priest, or the um, press saw this book and started spreading the rumor that she was into the occult. It's a prayer book. That's ridiculous. Um, if you see pictures of it, it does look a bit creepy. Does it? Yeah, but it's not... Like, when you know it's a prayer book, it's a prayer book. They just saw something and said, ooh, that looks ominous, and said it must be the occult. Jerry reported that the talking cat only started talking after the an operation that it had been through. Uh, one night, it was in the basement when it kicked the door and yelled, Let me out, you dirty <laughs> French man, you dirty Greek! That would make me get a cat. That would make you get a cat? Yes. If it came out and called you a dirty Frenchman? And kicked my door. <laughs> yes. I used to have a cat named Salem that would, if I had my door, because it didn't shut all the way, it was like your door at the old house. Oh, yeah. The old bedroom door. If... If he wanted in, he'd bust in like that. Like, he owned the room. And I guess cats do. I mean, let's be honest. You move a cat in, it becomes a test. Yeah, cats are buttholes. They are. Uh, but remember, this cat's also been saying things like help and, and yeah. things like that. Um, the warrants and the priests were down in the basement talking to Mar uh, Marcia when uh, about her cat when the lights went out. 
And Marcia opened the freezer so that there would be lights, and then went to the light switch to turn it on, but it would not turn on. And then she went to the plastic sheet that covered the saw and looked under it, but saw nothing and returned to the freezer. And then all of a sudden, six shower rods shot out at one priest. Uh, Bill was was his name. Uh, Bill. Bill. Bill Nye, the science guy. I think I did that joke last six time. Six shower rods? Yeah, I'm not sure. I feel like, yeah, just like shower rods, like curtains. Why do they have so many? I, I don't know. Replace, I don't know. I, I can't call them and ask. Weird. Oh, man. Oh, no. There's a good Shoot. All right. Um, if, uh, if he had not leaned out of the way, he would have been hit with them. She told the priest about the way people treated her at school and used a slower, softer, here comes a child. <laughs> oh, and there's a bark. <laughs> What's up, buddy? I guess mom's hug. Oh. Okay. Yep. Ryan has a grin on his face because he thinks he's going to say something slick. Don't you? You like her blanket? Yeah. Here you guys go. Our family life. Here he is. Oh, thank you, buddy. Ah! Look, I was doing dance. Yeah, but you got You just stepped on. Good night, son. Good night, Jakey. Good night. Oh, man. Mom, did you know these two? Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Oh, my. Sorry about that. No. Go. Run. Honey. Just go. Wow. I don't know where I was now. He moved everything. Oh my goodness. Can I fight him? He moved. I don't know where I am in my notes now. Let's see here. I know we were talking about. She was talking about the way she was being treated at yes. school. So let me find that. With a soft voice. With a soft voice. Yep. And we are almost there. Okay, here we go. Wow. Woo. Have children, they said. It'll be fun. The only people that ever tell you to have children are other parents, and it's because they want to other people to be as miserable right? as them. That's what it is. <laughs> Something. Um, so she tells the priest about the way people had treated her at school and used a slower softer voice when describing the names that they would call her. And so then she said, you know, Sammy the cat was her only friend. I don't... It's sad. Well, yeah, but I also don't... Rosemary was her friend. I don't know what happened to her. After, after that one account of uh, the weird, you know, ritual that she was doing. I wouldn't be her friend anymore after that either. Well, no, I mean, it said after that they were friends. Oh. And became regular friends. Um, uh, the priest named Bill was beginning to see a very insecure girl in Marcia. But then her parents called her upstairs, and the Warrens stayed downstairs with the priest to discuss the case away from prying ears. When suddenly the cat tensed up as if in a state of fear and it was following movements of something unseen. Then they heard out of the darkness a horrible demonic voice say, 
and this is a weird thing for it to say, but it said Jingle Bells. Which was that even around Christmas? I in I think this actually is in November, so So sort of. Sort of. But certainly not close enough that it should be saying jingle bells, but who knows? It's so weird. Yeah, and then after it said jingle bells, it there's a strange squealing sound that either come, sounds like it's coming from the cat or around the cat. Um, you know, just the cat is the focal point of the noise. So then everybody meets up in the kitchen, and Lorraine explains that she felt a nauseous feeling inside the house, especially in Marcia's room. Paul noticed that a second-degree burn was developing on Lorraine's hand, where she had said she felt a light touch. I don't know exactly. I think second-degree burn is worse than first-degree. I think we went over this. Yeah, but I, I, don't, I still don't know. Uh, no, third-degree has to be bad, right? I don't know. How does murder go? First degree was worse. Is it? I know first degree murder is not okay, but it's certainly more okay than third degree murder. Murder in the first, murder in the second, murder in the third. So I feel like one, two, three. Go ahead. Um. First-degree burns are the mildest forms of skin injury that do not require medical attention. So third-degree is worse. All right, so second-degree is in the middle. Yeah. Okay. Well, then she has, uh, which explains why she had blisters uh, shortly after this happened. Ed and Lorraine should pro or Ed told Lorraine no there's nobody there it's just opening no, because I of the wind. I thought I heard a child yell mom. Well you probably did but they didn't come back here so it's not important. Well because it's pitch black they're probably scared to come back here. Well that's fine. What? But they don't need to come back here right now. They're in bed. They're supposed to be in bed. Don't look at me like that. It's supposed to be in bed. They'll be fine. Ed told Lorraine that she should probably head out. Because he felt like maybe she had been marked by the entity. But Lorraine insisted on staying. And then uh, the burn began to blister. And Paul was like, you know what? Somebody cracked an egg in here. No, he said, he said uh, it smelled like sulfur. Uh, no one could explain either event. And then Paul felt a cold spot from behind the TV. And when he began inspecting the area, the TV fell onto his leg. And after looking after his leg, Paul thought on Marcia's role in the haunting. He thought that she was the focus point of the events, and he feared that possession was in her future, if they couldn't stop what was happening. And then March, or I'm sorry, not March, November 25th, 1974, so it was November. November 25th, because that was the 24th, 25th, 1974. Officers are now being accused of a cover-up when they say there is nothing to see. This is mainly due to the reports of chairs moving around and uh, being witnessed by the crowd. So 2 a.m., Ed, Lorraine, Paul, and Bill promised to return and went back to the Warrens' house to rest up before returning later that morning. Priest Bill went to the couch to sleep. Ed went to bed, but Paul and Lorraine decided to chat in the kitchen over some tea. And they were discussing the case and the absurd hope that the events, well, they were just quit overnight. 
Yeah. Well, oh, wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be wonderful if we went over there and nothing was happening anymore? Yes. Um, but that's when they felt a presence in the kitchen with them, and they knew that someone was surrounding them with the intense feeling of evil. So, the entity, while being at the Goodens, was also able to follow them back to their house, and they were only there for one day. Oh. By morning, or by Monday morning, the news had spread nationally. The police started setting up barricades and making sure the large crowd outside remained outside. Bill had to say mass that morning, and before he could leave, the phone rang. He answered it and found himself talking to Laura, who was calling him to tell him about the destruction that had worsened since this morning. So it got worse. He's gonna be over there being like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do some mass for this church, and I'll be over when I can. And then she was like, No, you don't understand. You come now. You come now. Both Bill and Ed believe, uh, or believed that a form of exorcism was needed for the house. Monsignor John J. Toomey said that the church, I know, right? said that the church didn't believe anything supernatural was happening at the house. Yeah, because these things, you know. You know, they happen naturally. Right. I know I get super annoyed whenever my fridge moves out of its place. And my chairs somersault around. Or or any of our glass objects float in the air and smash out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, in the air. Yeah. No, I'm, I mean, it's all. That's pretty annoying. It's all, you know, super, super normal. The, uh, therefore... The church assumed that it was all natural causes. And what's actually happening, what people actually suspect is that uh, the high publicity of the case was actually the reason for them staying in this belief. They're like, we don't really want to involve ourselves. Because at this time, you had Exorcist coming out. You had, oh my, he is kicking in me. Um, you had the Exorcist coming out. You had the book. You had the, and in between those times, they did see a spike in people saying that they were being um, physically harmed right. by demons and stuff. A lot of it was a bunch of crock because they had seen a movie and said, ooh, scary time. But some of it, you know, they took seriously. Jerry left for work at 6 a.m. And his co-workers were either making fun of his citation or... <laughs> that's what I wrote. I wrote citation. They were either making fun of his situation or they were asking him question after question after question. Which is both annoying. Yeah. Um, he remained a strong figure on the outside, but the events and attention were getting to him, and work was no longer an escape from his haunted <laughs> house. Now, there's business as usual back at home. The house was still extremely active, and at 9.45, Barbara Cor Carter who you'll remember was the uh, tutor. Yes. 
She witnessed Marcia's bureau tip over. The spirit was once again focused on her room. Meanwhile, Ed and Lorraine Warren were explaining to Laura that they were convinced the home needed an exorcism. Now, most people will tell you that homes, there is not like an actual exorcism of the home. It's more of like exorcism-like, where you're just like kind of blessing the home and telling anything that's there to get out of it in Latin. sage it. Yeah, I mean, you could if you believed a bush would help you. Or whatever sage is made out of. I know it's made out of sage, but I mean, like, you know. That could be super mean, but I'm not going to. Okay, whatever. Ed was sure that there was a demonic force inside the home. And that it had attached itself to the family and would not readily let them glow. Go. He <laughs> wouldn't let them glow either. <laughs> no glowing in the dark for you. Laura said that they were ready to try anything. And, and fair enough. You've been through the ringer already. In just two days, you've had a bad, bad time. Yeah. She made it clear, even at this point, that she and Jerry did not believe in ghosts. But there was no other explanation for what they were experiencing at the home. She thought maybe it could be the ghost of her son, angry that they had gotten Marcia, but Ed Lorraine assured her that this was not a human entity. They head back to their house to see if they could arrange an exorcism, and as they, were, uh, as they left, they were swamped by the media, and several members followed them back to their home. And at this point in their history, they were, they were not the famous demon-fighting couple. They were still kind of under the radar. They right. were locally famous, sort of. But they were not at the height of where they were. Um, of where they would be, anyway. Now, Ed, reading the demonologist book, Ed did not believe in poltergeists. He did not think poltergeists existed. He believed that people saying things from poltergeists were people denying the existence of the celestial world. 1 p.m. So anytime a poltergeist comes up, Ed would tell you that's a demon. At 1 p.m., Paul left to go get snacks from the local convenience store, and the public eventually started a rumor saying that Ed Warren was lacing the candy with hallucinogens. <laughs> if that is if that is the case, then he must have given 2,000 people, more than 2,000 right? people, candies because people were looking at this house and seeing stuff through the windows happen. And that's a lot of money that is quite to a spend bit. on wanting people to see things. Yeah. Of course, it was never proven. Nor was it given any kind of considerable thought among authorities because police officers and firemen had all seen what was happening before the Warrens were even involved. Paul walked in, put the snacks on the kitchen table for everyone to grab. Yeah, that kitchen table, the one that's been flipping this right. entire time. Uh, but he puts, he puts the snacks on the table and then stands behind Marcia's chair with his hands resting on the back. Oh my goodness. Sorry, we need to not do these so late. No. That's when he felt pressure against his hands and the chair was beginning to rise underneath of his hands. And he pushed the chair back to the floor and that's when he felt the pressure release. 
Like, it was like, all right, fine, you don't want me to move the chair, I don't want me to move the chair, jerk. And so then, after the snacks, uh, a couple of objects move, and some uh, objects fall, but pretty much it had quieted down. Crowd members are still able to break through the barriers uh, that the police put up, and would often bang on the windows and doors to yell at the Goodens to come out. And Laura called Jerry... Uh, for him to come home, and Jerry left work at 1.30, leaving no one for his co-workers to harass. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awful? Yes. It would. If you were making fun of someone and they left early. <laughs> During an interview with Bridgeport Post, or with the Bridgeport Post, sorry, a dish rack on the counter overturned and then shot several feet into Jerry's leg, who had forgotten his astounding ninja moves from before. It was raining outside, and Marcia, Barbara, and Paul were playing Monopoly on the living room floor. Jerry started to get an uneasy feeling in his body, and he started to feel like he was being surrounded in cement. Then all of a sudden, the feeling left his body and he could sort of see the feeling as he followed it into Marcia's room. So he could see the heaviness and followed it. What he was seeing were movements independent of any physical form. So somehow he was able to see something move that didn't have a physical form. Um, uh, he, he moved around room from room and then went into the kitchen where the heaviness settled on him again. The light above his head started to flicker and any supernatural fan knows that's when you break out the salt and the iron and you surround yourself in a circle yeah. with your favorite book and hope that wind doesn't make an appearance because salt will get blown away by the wind. Um, so he, uh, he, he was moving room to room and then it, it moved on to him again and his attention turned towards the last supper picture that was hanging above, uh, on his kitchen. Um, it hadn't moved at any point during any of this. Not once had that thing moved. Weird. What do you think of that? That is pretty weird. Yeah. Why would it destroy all these other religious icons or, or throw them off the wall or whatnot and leave that alone? Right. But he also thought that uh, it was weird. And uh, after he said, oh, that's weird, he broke into a Gregorian chant and started saying a mass in Latin. No one in the good and family in family knew latin uh as far as anybody knows uh nor did they know church procedure to say a full mass he offered the mass of the dead which is said for adults when they die and mass of the angels which is said when children have passed now the only people in this house that are living are adults and a child why is he breaking out into this 
Um, he was walking back and forth. He was shaking holy water around. To Jerry, four misty figures had appeared and started following him from room to fr from room to room. And at that moment, Paul started to prayer or started to pray <laughs> from his prayer book. Jerry felt pressure in his arms and hands. He was not in control of what he was doing. Laura sat in a recliner, crying because she was frightened by what was transpiring. She could sense his rage and knew it was not his own. He was knocking into furniture, unaware of his own movements. Marcia, also crying, clung to Paul's waist, and Paul himself could see the entities that were surrounding Jerry. Paul felt his own rage rise at the violation of free will as the figures drew closer to Paul and Marcia. As one of the entities went to pass Paul, he deliberately got in its way and felt its bird-like body structure push him or push past him with anger and rage. It had a physical mass that was not immediately detectable to the human eye. So he he feels a giant bird some sort of structure what super if, creepy what if he's feeling wings the wings of a demon or something like that yeah still creepy oh very much so um and and with this observation he uh he makes the uh, what many believe in the paranormal field believe is the correct assumption that these are four separate entities with four different personality types the entities having physical attributes did not fit with the originally thought poltergeist but nor did it fit with any known demonic entity Paul knew of once this entity successfully got past Paul it snatched up Marcia said come here child and threw her across the room into a wall uh, terrifying her and everyone that witnessed the event. And the entities formed one massive black cloud, and Paul was like, all right, everybody get out. It's time to leave the house. We have to get out. How fun. When a priest is like, okay, nope, we're out. Come on, get out, get out. Come on, out the pool. Let's get out, come on. I don't think that would be very fun. Oh, probably not. Inside, the furniture was being thrown and falling. Outside, it was beginning to get cold and dark. Paul told the Goodens to stay outside while he called Ed and Lorraine. A battle was about to begin. As Paul walked by, a dog jumped out of the shadows, growling aggressively. And then as Paul drew nearer, the dog cowered. He was afraid of something near Paul. He went to a neighbor's house to call uh, Ed, and while inside, there came three knocks at the door. The child at home went to go answer it, and when he did, he said no one was at the door. Now, Paul, knowing that to be wrong, said, you want to bet, kid? So he was like, oh yeah, you think you're big and bad? Ooh, ain't nobody there. Guess what? Chicken butt. Guess how? Brown cow. Alright, maybe he wasn't that flippant, but... I doubt it. <laughs> Ed told Paul that they, plus Priest Bill, 
were planning on returning to the home shortly. They arrived at the house at 9.15 and Ed suggested that they all return inside, including Ted Holsworth, who, if you remember, was that trucker dude. Yes. Woohoo! Jerry, Laura, asked Bill, I'm sorry, Jerry and Laura, not Jerry, Laura, <laughs> asked Bill to bless the house again and Bill started the ritual. Bill and the Warrens went room to room and then went down into the basement and once in there, went to the southwestern and started blessing the area. The cat even came to nuzzle up the priest's leg, making him trip just a little bit. <laughs> the walls of the basement were plastered and blackened, but the priest thought he saw a dark shadow that seemed out of place. He first passed over it because the lights were dim, but on second look realized that there was something in the corner. The shadow turned into an irregular form. It had it was elongated on the bottom and looked as if it was only in 2D. He moved closer and asked the Warrens if they could see it. To which they replied, yes. Ed said he could see a face from where he was. And now they were more certain than ever that the entity was demonic because they could all see horns on top of the figure. Dun, dun, dun. Now outside, the crowd was swelling to huge numbers, and it took four squad cars and eight police officers for crowd control, which is a lot on a little street like Lindley. Two news reporters showed up in order to try and document the events for the news program. They were allowed in the house because uh, Laura had listened to the station frequently and the Warrens uh, had been interviewed by these guys. One of their names is Bob. They stayed in the house until close to midnight and then after a few odd occurrences involving moving and falling things, the reporters were packing up their recorders and everything they needed to have packed up to leave. You know, they're like, okay, mm -hmm. here we go. We're leaving. And that is when they heard tapping coming from somewhere. And it sounded like it was like two sticks knocking together. Uh, Jerry declared, I feel it again. It's coming through the doorway. And then the plastic flowers started moving around in the vase again. And this seemed to signal that something was, a, it, things were about to get rough. Marcia was half asleep in her recliner when an unidentified noise occurred and her recliner swiftly reclined and then returned to the upright position, you know, all without waking Marcia up. Like, you know, she didn't come out of her daze or anything. She was still just half asleep. Uh, to one of the reporters, who was already frightened, he was like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to play this game. Can, can I go home? Uh, don't, don't, don't call me Satan. Uh... <laughs> He was he was a little it 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 audited him out, you know. He was like, "You're way too calm for what's just happened." Um, Jerry began looking around the room, hoping to see something he could point out. Uh, you know, just point his rage. But since he decided to speak to the room, when he said, "We've been good to you, we've given you a home. Now leave us alone. You're a spoiled child," you know. Because every demon's going to respond well to a mere human. Right. Now, Marcia then got on her knees 
and started praying out a little prayer from a book. Jerry told her to stop and go to bed. She stopped, got up, went five feet from where Lorraine was sitting, and then she took off backwards at an alarming speed and hit her arm off the fridge before smashing against the wall and falling to the floor where she stayed in a squatting position. The collision was so hard it was heard, if not felt, throughout the house. Jerry and other adults came to comfort Marcia, who was, bad, uh, who was bawling on the floor, and that's when one of the reporters, Bob, thought he heard the nearby cat ask for help. After this, it was impossible for the household to settle back down. Aside from a bump on the head, the child was uninjured. Uh, then, intense cold spots were felt in the house. Marcia's recliner went backwards and then slammed into a table behind it, and soon an incident would happen that would get Marcia to ask to go somewhere else. Coats that were on a stroller floated in front of Marcia, and when she screamed, they fell to the floor. And she asked her dad... Please, can we leave? Bob went outside to regroup, and when he came back into the living room, he noticed that all the holy pictures on Marcia's small desk were face down. In the kitchen, Jerry was standing behind the chair that Marcia was sitting in, talking to the Warrens, when he suddenly tensed up. It's here again, said with frustration and resignation to his fate. Marcia started to lift with the chair, startling everyone. Jerry eventually got a hold on the chair and then slowly guided it back to the floor. Marcia got out of the chair and hugged her dad. It was after 1 a.m. when everyone returned to the living room. As Marcia laid down to sleep, uh, to lay down to sleep, the ship, like the model ship, was on top of the bureau. Mm -hmm and moved several inches as she lay down. Mm. Creepy. It's almost as if it was following her actions. Yeah. Sounds that way. Um, activity was constant and draining. Ed went to use the restroom, and when he was finished, he saw a box of... Or while he was finishing, you know, washing his hands and stuff, he saw a box of soap powder float in the air, and spill out its contents into a pile, like it was a controlled pile. And then it sat itself back down next to the pile. Ed came out and joined the others and just didn't tell them about it. He was like, I'm not going to... Nah. Why bother? It's not my problem. This isn't my house. They'll fix that. Um, the visitors were, re were getting ready to leave and the Goodins were beginning to get more anxious. During the long days, it felt like they had power in numbers, but now, well, now that everybody was leaving, the Goodens were facing the night alone, and that is the worst time to be going through any kind of haunting. Yeah. As Bob was putting his coat on, he felt the same burst of cold air move through him like it had before. He took one last look before uh, he left, before he left. And out of the corner of his eye, he saw the TV move another time, just slightly out of position. Through the open front door, Bob told Jerry to come back inside. 
He told Jerry what he had seen, and Jerry marched over to the set and disconnected the wires. It was all he could do. And then the guests left, and the Goodens were left alone for the night. The next night, Officer Mike Costello, this is where it gets a little dodgy, Mike Costello was back doing crowd control. It was cold, so the crowd had shrunk a lot. Thank goodness. As Mike went into the house, Jerry told him about what, you know, what new events had happened since, you know, the night everyone left. Jerry said that they were unable to handle much more and repeated his spoiled brat comment, and even asked his wife what they were going to do. The officer noticed the bottle of rubbing alcohol from Marcia's psychic powers throw, and Laura, Laura, <laughs> Laura became embarrassed and made up a story about the bottle. You know, she said, you know, it spilled like a week ago, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And the officer was like, well, then why, why didn't it dry up? And now your daughter threw it a couple of days ago. Um, Marcia did something that would really ruin any kind of hope of getting any kind of, you know, help. Most children do. Um, she admitted to causing almost all of the events. Um, when asked why she had done it, she said she wanted to see if the demon would do anything. So I don't know if it was like... I don't know what, what her plan was. But uh, she also said uh, Lorraine had run her hand under some hot water to get the blisters on her hands. Which, no. No. You would scream. Yeah, and it would have been the whole hand. Yeah. Um, she, uh, her mom looked at her with disgust. Like, she was like, you jerk. I'm sure she was, he, she was probably using some, some bad probably. language there. Um, she knew now that her daughter was going to cost them the best hope they had for help. She told the officers that Lorraine hadn't been, or that she hadn't been put up to anything, that she had just made all the events happen herself. The police called the detective to tell him that everything had been a hoax. They said that the daughter had admitted to making everything happen, but how could she is the question. People had seen events that, uh, or had seen the events, knew that there was no way it was a hoax. Right. There was no way this little girl was picking up a fridge. Um, at least not all the events. Some of the events appeared to be, you know, caused by her. You know, one of the officers did see her kick a TV over with her foot. But Sneaky. there were times where she was not in the room with the TV and it fell over. And again, fridge. How did she lift herself in the air? These kind of things, you know, they don't fit. Right. Um, unless she had some weird pulley systems inside the house no one saw. Um, however, uh, you know, another thing is how could she fake her father knowing a different language? You know, how had she made the priests see figures and be pushed? The police believed that the Warrens had been part of the plan from the beginning. 
and every time something happened they came sweeping in like the avengers and real life ghostbusters they believed the warrens were trying to build a reputation and financial gain now there would be no payout because of the confession they're like we got them however the warrens already had an established reputation that they were fine with you know they weren't looking to get nationally famous they were just looking to you know hunt some ghosts and it just turned into a big thing but you know uh they had this reputation uh and nothing about this money or nothing about this case said big money when ed heard the news you know he got so angry he punched his dashboard the warrens the priests were told by the goodens that they no longer needed help even though the Warrens insisted that the hauntings were real, the Goodens believed that their own daughter had caused them four years of misery, and they were done. They did not want to do any, anything about it. The public haunting ended with the house almost being set on fire by a couple of people who were trying to get rid of the, uh, who were trying to rid the house of evil, and they said, "Yeah, can't be evil if there ain't no house." <laughs> Or however, Kentucky or Connecticutians, Connecticut Southern accents. Probably not. What do you call them? The people from Connecticut? No, I call them Connecticut's. 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 Yes, <laughs> Connecticut's. I like that. Um, and Lorraine still worked the case, although a bit grudgingly. They were a little like you know uh, this girl, but you know they did everything they could. Uh, they were studying every note that they had. They were trying to get the Goodens to talk to them again. But the Goodens were just like, whatever, no. Eventually, the hauntings dissipated and the Goodens continued to live in their house. Laura lived until the age of 68 when she died in a fatal car crash in 1993. Jerry died four years later of natural causes. Marcia was not mentioned in either obituary. Marcia became estranged from her parents and moved back to Canada. She is still alive and well. Um, when, uh, when she went to Canada, uh, Jerry and Laura had sent a postcard to someone and said that uh, Marcia had moved back to Canada to be with her original family because uh, the Goodens were not good enough for her rude very rude it is very rude i said rude first no no <laughs> yeah i did i said rude but uh that that is the haunting and i'm sorry if the sound quality is way worse let me tell you what happened we were in the middle of recording this we got 39 minutes in the power went out because we were having a windstorm and then my computer shut off. And I had to reset everything. So it doesn't sound good. I'm sorry about that. We had to share one mic. So she might be hard to hear this second half. But do know that we are working on our qualities. Our next episode is... Oh, good. Throw your hands up in the air. What Which do you want to... Well, I don't know. I have two. Do you want to do the fairy one or the... Why don't we let listeners 
get on our Facebook. We'll make a post. Get on our Facebook and tell us which you want to hear about. Savannah, Georgia and the hauntings there. Or do you want to hear a little bit about fairies? I haven't imagined. I imagine I know which one it's going to be. But this will be fun to get some engagement. Please also check out our Patreon. Think about becoming obsessed. Think about becoming oppressed. Try becoming obs- uh, possessed. You might enjoy it. You never know. You know, it's it's got everything everything you could want. You know, let us inside of your brain. Let us control you. <laughs> you want to give it a go? No, I'm good. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Um, please continue to remember Olive Miller. And, uh, you know, don't let anything touch 